Hey, I'm walking here. What are you talking about? Fucking forget about it. Welcome back, guys. I got a new episode for yous. I know you're gonna like it. I did it with my boy, my Goombana, Schizotopia. I know you're gonna like it. So please enjoy this Sopranos-themed episode. If you don't like the Sopranos, forget about it. Don't listen. You don't need to listen. Many, many, too many spoilers. Forget about it. Grab your gabagool. Have a seat. Relax. Take your shoes off. Enjoy yourself. Welcome. Enjoy the show. Oh yeah. And one more thing. Considering kicking up a little. All right, a little something, something for your boy. All right. Consider kicking up a little something. Go over to Patreon. Do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Forget about it. Do me a favor. Go to Patreon. Give me a dollar, a couple dollars. Um, my Paglia side grandmother, who uh, came from the small towns inland, Benevento, Caserta, and so on. So I, actually, um, in, in my childhood, a lot, so much is body language, okay, in, in childhood. I, I think that's one reason why I have, I say, I have such an instinctive understanding of dancers and why I have such a rapport with dancers and uh, dance teachers and the whole dance school at my, my own school. There's, some, there's a way that Italians live in their body, I think, that's almost, um, it's beneath the level of language. Marissa in Silver Spring wants to know what you think of The Sopranos. I loathe The Sopranos. Why? I have been on the warpath. Warpath, warpath. I joined the National Italian American Foundation in protest against The Sopranos. I am I'm active also now with the Order of the Sons of Italy that actually had its um, headquarters in Endicott right next to my, my own grandmother's uh, house there. I love the Godfather films. I thought they were masterpieces. I, I revered Mario Puzo. I interviewed him actually for the New York Times, so on. But the Sopranos, I love. And the reason being, it has to do, I think, not only for the way it portrays Italian Americans as buffoons, right, but the way it portrays working class life. I think the Sopranos is wildly out of date. It actually has to do with a 1960s style okay, of North Jersey, not. 19, late 1980s or like 1990s. Uh, and I coming, as I, I teach in, in Philadelphia now, you know, and there is a style, okay, that working class people have, a style of expression, right, that I feel is caricatured on that show, okay. I feel that that show is a favorite of, um, of upper middle class viewers, right, who, who, it's, who almost think they're getting an anthropological perspective to something that doesn't exist anymore and, in fact, is being, um, is, as I said, being, it's a cartoon, it's a cartoon vision. I, I have, I've tried to watch, I haven't gone through a whole program. Okay, I try to watch it. Okay, and I become furious, absolutely furious. But I know many people who are who are great fans of the show. So I don't want to, you know, um, you know, my my take on it shouldn't influence anyone else in, in this or, or in anything. We do a little gabagooling. It's called we do a little gabagooling. The clip you just heard was Camille Paglia all the way back in 2003 on the warpath against the Sopranos. It is, to this day, the only truly, unforgivably bad take I have ever heard or read. It goes to show you that even the best of us have some bad takes sometimes. What gets me about it is that The Sopranos should have been so up her alley. I think the fact that Polio was so offended by the show that she couldn't even get through a single episode tells me that something about it cut too close to the bone for her. And the irony to me is that I think that if she had just somehow gotten over that, she would have been surprised to find a lot of her own work and ideas represented in the show. 
you have the assimilated Apollinian Italian America represented in the form of Dr. Melfi and her normie middle class friends. And on the other hand, you have the Catholic Dionysian Italian America represented in the form of Tony Soprano and his mafioso underworld. I think that part of the genius of the show was to create a contrast between these two Italian Americas, specifically so that you can have a dialogue about it. I don't think it was simply a middle-class gaze uh, leering down at a caricatured Italian-American anachronistic working class. Not to mention the whole Freudian drama between Tony and his mother uh, that creates a neediness in him that in many ways ends up defining his life, uh, something I think Paglia would be very interested in, actually. Also, to get a little anecdotal, I know for a fact that a lot of the old Italian-American culture uh, did in fact persist well into the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, my stepfather, when I was a kid growing up, was an old-school Italian-American from the East Coast. And he was very much like the uh, Italian stereotypes you see uh, on The Sopranos. Um, italics people, please don't cancel me for this, but, you know, he was a fat, middle-aged man, uh, wore golden rings, slicked back hair, blue suits, too much aftershave, uh, violent, childish, drove around in a beat-up sports car. And while he wasn't a mobster, uh, he was certainly a huckster and a con artist. Uh, every week he had a new business venture selling things of questionable origins. Uh, I once watched him battle a man at a gas station with a pitchfork uh, he had just bought from a hardware store because the man accidentally shined his brights at us uh, when he pulled up. So in my own small way, I grew up with the last vestiges of that culture. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe to a certain extent, The Sopranos is just therapy for me. But I know that that, that culture, some element of that old culture uh, persisted well into the quote-unquote modern day. And I assume some form of that culture still exists even now. And I think that The Sopranos is in part about Italian-Americans or really any immigrant group in America uh, dealing with that, dealing with the vestiges of the old culture that remain after however many decades of middle-class assimilation. And here's what I find especially funny. My Italian stepfather and my Italian stepfamily absolutely refused to watch the Godfather movies. They found them offensive. I mean, not that they ever watched them to find out what made them offensive, uh, but they, you know, they were told that by someone or, you know, there, there was a consensus in their community that the Godfather movies were a blight on the Italian-American community's good name, and they refused to watch those movies, never watched them. Here we have Paglia, uh, you know, a, a few decades down the road, and she's saying, no, 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 I love I love the Godfather movies. Those are great. But The Sopranos, I can't watch it. I can't even sit through a single episode. So I I don't know. Maybe there's some, there's some like very American cultural dialectic going on there. But I'll leave that to the smarter people. In any case. So I am sorry, Mrs. Paglia, but the American melting pot never quite defeated the Gabagool. Now, obviously, that was a very old clip of her. Maybe her reviews have evolved since then. Uh, maybe someone forced her to sit down and actually watch the show. I would love to hear Polly's fully informed take of the show. If she actually just you know, forced herself to get through all six seasons, I, I, I think she would. I, I, I want to believe that she would see the light. Um, and also, if she thinks that 
The Sopranos is a, a cartoonish caricature of the working class. I would love to hear what she said about the Jersey Shore. Um, I, 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 no, 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 nothing comes to mind about when she ever talked about the Jersey Shore, but I would, I would like to hear what she had to say about that. In any case, Camille, if you're out there listening and you want to come fight with me about it, you are, of course, always more than welcome on this podcast anytime. Anyway, we'll be getting deep into some Sopranos lore on this episode with an old friend of the show momentarily. But first, a little housekeeping, some announcements. Um, Number one, all new episodes from now on uh, of this podcast will be released on Patreon first. And half of them will be released later for free. We're going to do a a 50-50 split. So no more more Mr. Nice podcast. I I can't justify putting any more of my life into this if I don't actually start making some money from it. Also, speaking of Patreon, for those of you who are still eagerly awaiting the book, I will be finishing that book early next year. I know I said I would have it done by the end of this year, but I'm just not going to make it. Um, I'm sorry for being a George R.R. Martin about it, uh, but it's been a rough couple months. I was sick. Wah, wah, wah. Boo-hoo. I'm sorry. Okay, I am sorry. However, someone is working on the cover for the book as we speak, and I'm going to be reading a chapter or two on either the next podcast or the one after that. We'll see. But I promise it will be worth the wait for those who have been waiting. I appreciate you guys. But with that said, let's get into it.
Hello and welcome back to Schizotopia, the official podcast of Schizotopia.net. As always, I'm your host, Maxwell Cody. And joining me once again, the wokest man on Instagram, the Stormbringer himself, the unsinkable Mr. Float Universe. Float, how the hell are you? Thank you. Indeed, unsinkable. I was almost wiped off Instagram. That would have been very sad. But after begging and pleading or white hats in control behind the scenes, like, I'm back. So thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure. People really enjoy our episodes. You've got quite a fan club, actually. People send me DMs. So thanks again. Um, Really? You you get lots of positive DMs about me specifically? Oh, yeah. They want to, at least per your voice. I mean, I don't know if they've seen you, see what you look like, uh, if, that works, <laughs> if that works for them or not. But based on the voice, you've got a lot of fans. Uh, well, I guess I guess the voice is the most important part with, uh, with uh, podcasts. Um, we're going to be talking about crime and voyeurism surrounding crime and it's going to be a little different from what we normally talk about which is uh which has always been q anon but we're going to be we're going to be gabagooling tonight all right I, i'm excited about it i'm uh i'm a big fan i was an initial watcher when it was a, a series in 97 and 8 i can't remember exactly and then i've watched i think three times now all the way through uh, concluding mm. with this last year when i got back in it again because i was watching the q anon documentary on hbo and i said oh might as well since i've paid for a month and i gotta wait for these six episodes to come out might as well watch the sopranos again and it was so much better the third or i think it was the third or fourth time i think it was the third time you uh it's so the perfect segue from from q on to the sopranos but before we get into that i do have to ask you okay i do have to ask you what, what do you think about the maxwell trial not me of course the other maxwell the bad maxwell yeah q says um watch the people stepping down, the CEOs and stuff, and people killing themselves. Uh, I, I don't know if Virgil Abloh really had cancer or not. Who, who's to really say with what they actually show you in the news? But he may have, but he also was mysteriously died right before that trial started. And all these CEOs are stepping down, lots of them in, in, in different fields. I don't have a list in front of me because I, I said, you know what, I'm, if, I, if I bring Q and I wanted to have more Sopranos notes than QAnon stuff. So, But definitely there's lots of hope. There's lots of copium still being snorted in my household. In terms of what's going on with Trump, it's called devolution. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, that that were like like spiritual devolution. No, there's a, a thing where devolution. basically Trump has the election still. It's he locked it up, and you're watching the military slowly. I, I, I urge people to go to here's the the website patriotpatel.substack.com, and it is it is part of the government's top secret continuity of government power. Uh, uh, I wanted to make sure it was perfect, so I smoked joint right before. <laughs> so I can't even read my own notes here. But anyway, devolution. Get, look at look that up. And plus, we've got the Department of Defense Law of War Manual. I think Q's still ongoing. I don't talk about it much. I don't have a lot of time to follow it like I used to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, but I guess this is this is what I really want to get at. Do you think that the um, Gisling trial? Do you think that it's like? The real deal that it's going to turn into something more interesting, or do you think that it's just sort of a a, a sham? A, 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 a I think it's a little bit of both. I think people want to see what's going on, and they have to show something. But I mean, all these accounts have been shut down that are trying to like the trial tracker. Mm, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. So all these things are being shut down. You can't get in there. You can't find out what's really going on. People are supposedly reporting on it, and like I said, these accounts get shut down. Mm. But uh, I think it's a little bit of a, I think it's, yeah I think it's a little bit of a, a nothing burger at the end of the day it's going to be okay as much as in terms of like what really is going on like eating children under the island and I don't know they're not talking about that but like I said you've got deep state judges you know in power and I don't think you're going to see much happen there at the end of the day 
like again, it's going to wake more people up that that weren't aware that these, you know, uh, Prince Andrew and yeah. I mean, all, all these things that we've seen. I've been it so long now. I don't know what's like new to people that are kind of normies that haven't been red pilled yet to this stuff. So it's kind of hard for me to tell. I mean, we've been talking about Epstein for a long time in the news, but I mean, how much do people dig on that? And then if you watch it on like Netflix, it's a puff piece. So then they look at that and like, oh no, Trump's still worse than Epstein. I don't know. I, I think you're going to see a nothing burger at the end of the day in terms of your question. What did you think about the people who gathered, I believe in Texas um, for, for, the return, for the return of JFK Jr.? The CIA distraction. Hmm. Do you know what it reminded me of in Shia Islam? They, they had like, because um, because Shia Islam kind of had like a, like an Islamic equivalent of the papacy where there was like a head, um, there's a head imam who was the leader of their faith. And, you know, these imams are supposed to always choose their successor. And the last imam, I, I think he's the 12th imam, he disappeared. And it's widely believed that he was assassinated or disappeared. But there was a sect of Shias who decided that that wasn't possible, like that that was something that God simply wouldn't allow. So actually, the imam was hidden. It was the, 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 the hidden imam who was going to return um, around the, the end of days. And it was kind of funny to me because this whole JFK Jr. kind of cult or, or whatever it is, it kind of, it's like the weird American version of the, of the 12th imam. Kind of, but what I'll say about those people there and the other people that were in on January 6th, it's a lot of clowns, uh, clowns in America, CIA, people that are making... Like, for example, planting Antifa people in the crowd mm. at uh, in, in January 6th, stuff like that. That's what you're seeing with the JFK stuff to make so people you, look you, stupid, to make there is no Q yeah. and non. There's there's Q and then there's a nons. Uh, there's no Q and non. It's a media yeah. fabrication to make people look like an idiot. And so you don't think you don't think that any of these like uh, JFK return people were, were sincere. You think? Oh, no, just... for sure. For sure. I had my moment in it. And, uh, okay, you know, okay. I, I still have a percentage of me that has like, oh, maybe this is a possibility based on stuff I believe in. Right. With the time travel and aliens and shit like mm -hmm. that. But realistically, it's like, OK, you know, I still have hope with the devolution. Like I said, people really need to look into that. But devolution, Patriot Patel. And you have to, by the way, I, I know what I'm, I'm like, why did I write down duck, duck, go for everything I'd look up. Go, go, go put the term in Google and then put in DuckDuckGo and look at the difference in the results. So anybody that wants to look at the devolution, don't go through Google. You're not going to get anything you want to see with what I'm talking about. You go, go to DuckDuckGo and type in Patriot Patel devolution, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. And it is an amazing breakdown. And then the other copium with the Q people still is the Magic Eyes Only account with the Law of War manual. And they're just it's a trap that's been set in. Trump's eventually going to come back or they're going to take him down one way or the other. We may have military law. I don't know, but I still have hope. And those are bad actors in a lot of these places that are making us look bad because Q people, uh, the Anons are for the most part peaceful. And a lot of times and it, it, on both sides, it's it's like they had all kinds of footage over Rittenhouse. They're watching. They're there. They're in the crowds. They're infiltrating on both sides. They're, they're pushing their narrative. And part of the narrative in Dallas with JFK Jr. is let's make these people look like idiots. And some of them sincerely believe it. And I find all kinds of schizo stuff on the internet that makes me want to believe it. Like some really incredible breakdowns um, all over BitChute. You know, you could go crazy on BitChute. Um, a night on acid and uh, the right search terms, you'll, you'll, the deepest rabbit holes, you'll end up in the adrenochrome 
uh, factories. Well, you tell you tell you tell a compelling story, no matter how dark it is, and you'll get people to uh, to become fans of it. Speaking of which, a particularly dark story, the one that we uh, the one that we're here to talk about tonight, uh, which is of course the Sopranos. Uh, didn't mean to didn't mean to dig us back into a cue hole there. Just wanted to get a little. No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> um, I love it. Still, I don't I don't get to talk about it really, except on my podcast, which I limit because I don't spend the time doing the digs. There's certain mm-hmm. people I listen to and follow and like right now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a big thing going on with General Flynn and Lynn Wood. Like there's a split in the community. Did you know that? Uh, there's there's some what there's some new sectarian thing going on, like the people. Yeah, who I, I know. I know you what? follow it to a degree because I know you follow my stuff and sometimes I'll pull it onto my main account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm much more. I want to post so many things every day, but the line of and you're super shadow band, too, by the way. Yeah. You have to type your full yes, name out to tag you, and sometimes they can't even find you. Yes, I am. But um, <laughs> I'm very sure. And, 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 and the thing is, too, like I'm networked to too many bad accounts. Like you're not a bad account, but accounts that they consider bad. Yeah, I and so that, that that's a problem for me. So I, I I'm hesitant with certain accounts to even repost their material because I'm like doubling down on the system that already hates yeah. me. But um, what are we talking about? I forget. Oh well. The Sopranos. Oh, that's right. That's right. We were, we were just getting sopranos. into it. We were just getting into it. That's right. We got to get out of the Q hole and into the and into the Gabagool hole. Um, I love it. I love it. It's it's probably is it the best show? You I know you think, I think it's the it best is. show. I think it is. And it's not and when I say it's the best show, it's not necessarily my favorite because I think Boardwalk Empire is probably my favorite fantasy because I, I mean, like I haven't I, seen I, that one. I've been wanting to, but I'm like, should I waste my time on this? Oh, I I, I would definitely highly recommend uh, Boardwalk Empire. I think it's a great show and it's a lot of fun and, and it's fun being in that world. I, I enjoy the LARP, so to speak. Like I, I like going yeah. back to this, uh, um, you know, prohibition, speakeasy, you know, gangster world. You know, if you like if you like The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or any of these kind of crime stories, you'll definitely like Boardwalk Empire. But is the writing quite as profound uh, in in Boardwalk Empire as it is with The Sopranos? Not not in my opinion, because The Sopranos does something really weird. Um, the Sopranos one, it's it's cast with pretty much normal looking people, gritty, it's and, realistic, yeah, it, it, and they they live pretty mundane lives, or we see the, the the mundane side of their lives. And more than anything else, we are always focused on uh tony soprano and by the end of the show we've explored every nook and cranny of this man's body mind soul his childhood all of it despite the fact that when you really get down to it he's not a good person he's actually a devil i mean he's a he's a a truly demonically possessed man and a lot of ways a really empty man too Uh, and yet uh it's and it's always hard for me to articulate there's something about it that is really uh What's the word? There's something about it that is really uh, mesmerizing. Well, yeah, I, I thought about this a lot. And we talked off air about how, you know, like I do a lot of podcasts now and I don't get any questions, which is fine. That's what I want. But yours, like, I love doing your podcast. It's like, wow, I get a real breakdown of where you want to go with this and the thought surprise. about it. And I, and I know the reason why people like it. So most people aren't sociopaths or psychopathic. And if they are not to that, not on that spec, you know, because psychopathy, sociopathy is a spectrum thing. Yeah. You've got because you've got good psychopaths that are like surgeons and, and police officers and CEOs. No, they're not necessarily they're considered good, but they're not out there raping and killing people. Um, and then you've got, you know, the the lower end of the spectrum, the serial killers and the rapists running around who are just trying to feel what uh, things feel like. It's just very low level stuff. So I think most people aren't like that. Right. And so it's you're, it's uh, like a window into somebody else's life that's nothing like is very alien to your own. 
that's what I think after really thinking about like, what do, what do people, what do most people, are most people psychopaths and sociopaths? I don't think so. And then and the science doesn't say so either. I think it's very low with uh, psychopaths or sociopaths. It's even lower with psychopaths. Very, I think it's like one in one in 20, something like that. And it's almost all men. So, you know, I don't know. Are, are, is it a, is a, do you agree? I don't What do you there's think? The, there's definitely the part of it that's just pure voyeurism and that a lot of people, I, I think, definitely fantasize about. They don't live like that. They don't kill people. They don't have um, a but that doesn't mean right. But that doesn't mean they wouldn't want all of those things. And I think that's something that you find in, in most uh, crime stories and crime films is that um, a, a big part of it is that it allows you to indulge in your in your dark fantasies. But the thing with Tony Soprano, though, and the thing with The Sopranos on the whole is that they're very normal looking people, you know, balding, fat, <laughs> middle-aged, you know, it's not, it's not super glossy. You really kind of feel like you're, you're in New Jersey in the early 2000s. And then on top of that, the, it's not just the voyeurism, it's the normieism. Because one thing that I think makes the Sopranos unique is that Tony Soprano is a sociopathic uh, mob boss who is trying his hardest to fit in as like a normal suburban dude. Um, he's trying to present himself as a normal suburban dude. Uh, and uh, the other sort of, uh, I guess you could say, reformed or, or assimilated, fully assimilated Italians um, who are his neighbors, they're kind of horrified by him, but they're also kind of uh, fascinated, fascinated by him in the same way. So you see the kind of, you, you, you see the, the voyeurism of the audience reflected in the people who even live around Tony. Oh yeah, there's a there's a definitely a morbid curiosity in the Kuzumatos and they're, uh, you know, wanting to get close to it, but uh, not, not overstep it. To, they do they do a few times in the show, but luckily, Tony doesn't. Uh, like, but one of my favorite ones is when Carmela needs a favor uh, or, or a, a letter of recommendation from the twin of the Kuzumatos. This the wife. She has a twin. Do you remember that episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one. But anyway, um, so yeah, I think. Another thing about the Sopranos, especially why we like it now, it's a it's it's um like I like looking at art and remembering it's about looking uh, seeing it through the lens of when it was made versus now like okay how many antiheroes have we had since Tony that he he right. started all that off right Breaking Bad and and uh, who are some other ones um, Nike Thompson which would be Boardwalk yeah Empire. right so he started all that off and life isn't like it was like things are so politically correct now it's, it's interesting to look back just 20 years and see how much things have changed and another thing i like the sopranos it's it reminds me of my late teens early college mm -hmm. years you know yeah. all that right right through there like me and meadow are about the same age in mm -hmm. real life so it's a, it's, a, it's a really strong parallel it's very nostalgic um it ain't like that anymore a lot of those things it's it's pre-iphone um it is it is funny it always gets me where it's like uh like the iPod was the new coolest thing in the show. Yeah. Or I love how AJ is always like very hot topic core. Like he'll always have uh, Jinkos and like a Slipknot shirt and stuff like that. That stuff, I don't know. It makes me feel really old actually that that stuff is now dated. Because that was the stuff. I was like just hitting puberty. Uh, maybe like finishing high school when, when Sopranos was on. And I didn't watch it when it first came out. I didn't watch it until I was well into my 20s. Um, and it, it's the, the, the time capsule stuff is really funny. He's kind of like our Fred Flintstone. I was thinking about that too. I'm like, well, you know, he's an he's an he's a big, burly oaf of a guy. He's a working class guy. I mean, although you know, he's a garbage man actually, although he kills people. 
I mean, he's a mob. <laughs> oh, he's a mob boss, but technically he he's a yeah. he's a he's a garbage he, guy. He pretends to be right. Well, and this is the thing where it's like it, the the mafia comes from a working class background, but they're not exactly working class in the proper sense of the word, which is another right. which is another which is another part of the fantasy. I think where it's like they're both working class and but but also um, they they live lavishly. They live large. Well, then you see like it's relative though. Like AJ has the girlfriend who is super, super, super rich. And he, he he's made to look like a fool at first, mm. you know, oh, this is worth $3,000, this little statue, be careful. Yeah. And then the girl's house has like a Picasso <laughs> and, and, and it's like no yeah, big yeah. deal. Yeah. Stuff like um, that. Where he finds out, right. He, he finds out what, what it means to have real money. Uh, just... Another interesting concept I was thinking about is, is the decline of the American empire. And it's a kind of a, a, a microcosm of that idea. And, and Tony even talks about it. He's like, oh, I think I came in at the wrong time too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, the, the, and that's how I feel sometimes too. Like, well, man, why can't I have been born in the fifties or, you know, or some other time it feels like I'm in yeah, what the happened to Gary the, Cooper, the strong. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, but that's the thing though. It's, it's, it's kind of, you long for days that were only 20 years ago. And, you know, some of the people listening to this are probably just, oh, that was when I was born, but, oh man, the, I, I, I could I could just remember a time before all this electronic shit and things were just a little quieter. And that was in the early 90s, late 80s when I was very young, but I can remember yeah. it. And now it's just humming, humming. And I can feel, I can feel like all the shit coming off the devices too. You can't see it, but you can feel it. Mm. You're, exp- you're, you've, you've lived to see yourself start to turn into Tony Soprano. Well, you know, what's, that's the interesting thing. Like he, look, he looks old, but he's like 37 in the first season. And I'm like, yeah. oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some do. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think if you go bald and you put weight on it, it just makes you look a lot older. It does. Because um, like, I, like, I, I looked that up actually when I was rewatching it recently. I was like, well, how old was he in the first season? And he, yeah, he's like 38. He's just, in, I think, I believe it was 38. Mm-hmm. But in any case, late, late 30s in any, in any case. Yeah. Um, 37, 38. Um, it, it's, it's funny to me. Um, to think about how kind of like the the reason that people are charmed by Tony Soprano is very similar to how people are charmed by Donald Trump. It's kind of the same uh, type of mentality and the same type of bravado. Yeah, no, it's definitely one of the traits of the the dark triad, which is um, personality. What What's the word for that? I can't think of it. Um, charm and charisma. Tony's got that too, for sure. Yeah. He, can, he can put on what he has to. Yeah, and in fact, it's like one of the things he's best at. Because the other thing is like I don't know what actual skills he has. There's no there's no indication that he's ever had like a normal job in his entire life. Not one not one that I can think of. I don't think he but, ever actually was a garbage man or anything like right. that. Right. Well, his skill is intimidation. Criminal. Yeah, exactly. His skill is is uh, uh, charm, and if that doesn't work, intimidation. Or his skills are uh, the carrot and the stick. Uh, do you have a favorite character? If you had to name a favorite character. You know, I think we should take Tony off the table because I think that would be most people's default. I think probably Christopher, I resonate the most with just all his struggles and interests and <laughs> me too. That was going to be mine yeah. as well. But after that, it would have to be after listening to the podcast. I like um, Steve Sharipa's character, Bobby Bach, a lot, a lot more than I did. before. I have a new appreciation for his character, but definitely I'd resonate with Christopher the most. I, I love Christopher because he's one of the very few characters who has like any dreams beyond just being a criminal. Mm-hmm. And he fulfills those dreams, actually. And he goes for it. Yeah, he does. Well, he makes it, the movie. It, it Oh, yeah, he does finish the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, forget, I forget that he does actually finish the movie, even though it's kind of like a B movie, uh, whatever. I'd uh, love to see a whole movie of just that. I'd love to see that movie. <laughs> but um, 
uh, even though the the first time where he tries to get that first script done, it, it blows up in his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets his he gets his heart broken by that girl, and uh, you know he gets all depressed and gets back on heroin and all of that. But he he at least was trying. He kept trying to to go beyond just just being a criminal and 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 be creative and and live his dream and all of that in a way that you really don't even. It's not even that the other characters uh, don't try to pursue their dreams. It's like a lot of the other characters don't even have dreams. Um, yeah. One of my favorite parts in the whole show is when he says to Polly, um, did you ever think nothing good is ever going to happen to you? And he says, and, and Polly says, yeah, nothing ever did. So what? <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite but ones that, too. That's like the, they all kind of have all these like old mob guys. They all have this kind of like um, this very tr- tragic attitude towards life. They, they, they've, they've kept the tragic sense of life uh, or the tragic sense of being working class, I guess. One of my favorite arcs of the show is, um, oh, uh, Vito being gay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting. It was a very interesting turn there right at the, at the I think it was either the, the end of the fifth season there, middle of the fifth season, sixth season, but it was towards the end. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it, I like Phil, Phil Leotardo, too. That was probably the best villain. Who Who's your favorite villain? Each season had, like, a villain. Like, the mom was a villain. Uncle Junior was a villain one season. I... Uh, I really, I like, I like Ralph a lot. Richie, because, Richie was a villain. Yeah, Ralph's probably the worst one. I fucking hate him. You know what I mean? And when you genuinely, honestly hate, hate the, hate that character. Um, I don't mean hate him in the, in the sense like dislike the character, hated him as in like, I genuinely, um, yeah. that guy genuinely makes me angry, right? <laughs> Even mm-hmm. though I know I'm watching a show, he genuinely makes me angry. And I think that, that made him probably one of my favorite uh villains i don't know how much we would count johnny sack as a villain yeah i guess he would uh i don't consider him one i, I don't consider him a villain in the ones that i in the way i consider the other ones villain definitely phil leotardo he's yeah was he's a definitely an antagonist to richie was a villain one season and then yeah, yeah, he, johnny sack is definitely an antagonist to tony in a lot of ways um but i guess he himself isn't really that bad of a guy it was interesting I liked to his, me liked his character arc and his 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 uh, jenny too with the, the yeah. mole Re- rewatching the show i really liked him um me too yeah I, I hadn't really thought much of him the first time i watched the show but rewatching it i really liked him a lot yeah no that was a uh, a very rewarding show on rewatch too and then the rewatch with over the pandemic for the most part with the guys who like i said before steve sharippa and the guy that plays Chris is what's his name? Uh, the guy who plays Christopher Moltisanti. Actor's name? Yeah, the actor's name. It's uh, uh I can't remember. Michael. It. Michael, Michael Imperioli. And... Imperioli. That's right. There we go. And then Moltisanti means many saints. I didn't know that. I didn't figure that out. I'm like many saints uh, in New York. What the hell is that? Oh, Moltisanti, many saints. Uh, what did you What did you think of the prequel movie? Oh, I got a whole. Re- I wrote a whole review for you. Oh, please, please. Oh. Let me say this. I tried my hardest to like it. I tried my hardest to like it. Okay. Well, I'm going to read you my review. And you'll know how I feel. Okay. The Many Saints of Newark. Whatever happened there? First of all, I didn't get the Sopranos vibe from the movie for a second. It felt like two two-hour movies edited down to form one two-hour movie. No scene felt connected to the next. It was terrible. Remember Uncle Junior? Here's him saying his uh, sister's cunt three times. Remember Polly and his obsession with priming himself? Here's him applying nail polish or whatever the fuck that was. Oh, shit. Young Tony heard a character say a line he says in the show. I bet he'll say that himself when he gets older. I was waiting for the scene where they catch young Vito playing with Barbies and the gunshot and the beehive hair. 
Should have just called it the Phantom Menace of Newark and been done with it. The sound mix makes it hard to hear. Maybe I, I missed something. I'd watch it at home with subtitles, ideally. And people thought Tenet had audio problems. The visuals were a big problem for me. It doesn't look like the same universe as The Sopranos. Everyone wanted to see a young Tony and the boys raised some hell. And we got this shit, a run-of-the-mill gangster film that had almost nothing in common with The Sopranos. It's not a terrible film, just not a good one. It's a solid 5-10 on the type of film you will watch once, shrug your shoulders, then never watch again. My wonder is, how did Chase not realize that, though? I don't get how people are capable of making masterpieces are also capable of making such mediocrity. Nobody was looking for a dicky Moltisanti original story. You literally got the most authentic version of Young Tony you could possibly get. That's mm -hmm. the fucking story we want to see. But David Chase wanted to make a film about some riots. Okay, Dave. I'm trying to decide which fan service callback moment made me roll my eyes even harder. Here's the contenders. Uh -huh. The Bullet Through the Beehive. The Makings of a Varsity Athlete. Oh, poor you, or the front runner. Before it even happened, I said out loud, if he says, then he said it, sister's cunt. This was solo, a Star Wars story, pure <laughs> shit. I hated it. Hardly any Tony, Johnny Boy, didn't even look Italian. Polly and Syl were over the top, hated the camera that you should have been shot on film. Joy Diaz was hardly in it. To graft a contrived, cliched, and preachy racial narrative onto this thing of, of ours is blasphemy. This is of the mafia in the 60s. There are a thousand other possible stories that could have been included. Stories, characters, etc. about the specific world and these specific people. That could have, that could have uh, provided the same rich depth, black humor, and moral ambiguity that made the series so perfect. This is a mafia movie with no mafia in it. What is the history of this family? Does Dickie just automatically become boss after his father mysteriously dies? Who are the capos? Who are the rival crews? Who kicks up to him? How does he deal with New York and Philly, which both had massively powerful and violent mobs at the time? There wasn't even one friggin' scam or one friggin' sit down. Instead, we get a paint by the numbers Black Panther after school special. The dialogue of the black characters made massive genius look like Hamlet. Just pure wooden puppets, nothing mouthing platitudes. That Chase, that Chase felt the need to graft a, a stale racial narrative onto his great creation uh, is like Michelangelo putting a two-foot dildo onto David. Fucking disgrace. My estimation of David Chase as a director just fucking plummeted. That's it. Well, I'll tell you, I should have known the day I went that it was not, it was, it didn't turn out good. I first was going in and I was in the wrong theater apparently because they started playing Adam's Family 2 cartoon. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and everybody in the theater was also pissed, but I was the only one to go to the other theater where they started, was already playing in the Adam's Family 2 theater. And nobody in the Adam's Family 2 theater was actually leaving. They were staying for the fucking Sopranos movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, they're like, we're going to start it again and I go back to the other theater. And by the time I got over there, I just basically walked into the same exact part. I just left the other theater. It was like fucking stupid. Yeah, it was, it was and then I was, it, I couldn't hear anything. Like I said, it was like Tenet. You ever see Tenet or any Christopher yeah. Nolan movie? Unless you go to the exact movie theater it's mixed for, it's almost, yeah, you, yeah. you can't, I'm like, please just give me some subtitles. It's gotta so, be, yeah. You gotta yeah. see my max. So that was I, the pro Oh, go ahead. One of the, definitely one of the things I noticed about, um, one of the biggest things that bothered me about The Many Saints was that, the cast is too good looking right like this is one of the things what part of what made yeah. part of what made um part of what made uh, the original show feel real was that they got normal looking people and then the other thing is like i grew up with a, a east coast pretty traditional pretty stereotypical italian step family and <laughs> i i can say with 100 percent certainty that there's a lot of things about the sopranos that are a very accurate depiction of what that culture is like and i know a lot of people complained and said that the show was you know showing italians in a negative light or something like that blah 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 um and to, to which i 
they disagree. It's like there is that that it, there is it's not just Italians. There is this whole East Coast Ellis Island uh, American immigrant culture that endured well into the '90s, and I, I know this for a fact to be true. But in any case, the, the people that you, you're watching in this movie, they just look too polished and clean. And, they, and they're too good. Yeah, they they're too good like, looking. They don't look like normal people. You, there's no way you can believe that these people are going to grow into the people we know from the show. So all of that was really off-putting to me. And then it's not that you can't have. Um, it, it's not that you can't have a storyline about conflicts between black and white people or racism or these different, you know, mafias. But it was so. I don't know how to put it. It was so cheerleady. Where it's like, oh, the black mafia will come in and then he'll win and then the movie will end where he gets a nice house in a white neighborhood or something. And, and in a way, I guess, to kind of like echo how his dad was mad about black people moving into the neighborhood or something. I just it, it, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good look for Italians. I didn't like that. Yeah, but then it's and, not, and it was it was forced woke in a lot of ways too. I felt yeah, that's not very it's not very good look for black people either. The whole thing is no, just no, no, very, wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't it bad look for black very, people. It just felt like it didn't feel like a gritty crime movie. It, right, it felt kind of like almost like an after school special uh, jammed into uh, a, a a crime movie. And the problem is, is that the movie doesn't work standalone at all because the movie depends entirely on references to the show the one that got me the 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 prequelitis thing that got me was when the baby christopher is scared of tony yeah and the old grandma says oh sometimes they know things from the other side oh because the thing in the show where he kills them well you know it's like right. uh, who is it's like who's that for who the fuck yeah. is that for well it's it good fan possibly, service it, it, yeah but it's fan service that fans don't even want Right. What like Sopranos fan watches is, is going to be watching this movie because they want endless references to the show. Also, I would say this. There already was an excellent prequel made to the Sopranos. It was called Boardwalk Empire uh, okay. um, because Boardwalk Empire is about the struggles between the Jewish, uh, Irish and Italian mafia and how the Italians won and, uh, you know, how Lucky Luciano um, you know, united all of these Italian crime families and took over. And that even gets referenced in, in The Sopranos at a couple points. And in a way, you can you can watch Boardwalk Empire as a kind of prequel to The Sopranos. You know, this was like the sort of like uh, Boardwalk Empire is sort of like the golden age of organized crime in America. And then by the time you get to The Sopranos, that's like the Bronze Age. That's the Cali Yuga of the... Um, that's of what I'm saying. The, the end of the empire there. You get, you, the end you of the empire, the end of it, right? Where... Where these gangsters are now like being, you know, trying to fit in in the suburbs and they, they, they don't have the prestige and power that they once did. And they're 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 kind of a, it's kind of like a you know, whatever. No, no, no country for old men type of thing. Yeah. It's not even the glamour of Goodfellas by the end of The Sopranos there. I want to ask you about the dream sequences in, in The Sopranos. I just feel like you as kind of a, a psychonaut is kind of a, a veteran floater. I, I'm, I'm interested to get your take on these these dream states that we go into with Tony. I think you're getting a lot of what you get in your normal dreams, which are echoes of the past and things you are depressed about or thinking about or wishing you could change. Mm-hmm. And you've got the, the your present stuff and then you've got the future anxieties all coming together in some kind of uh, uh, vision sequence uh, that doesn't really like make too much sense. There's not a lot of continuity to it. And it's yeah, from scene to scene. I mean, in general, I think one of the ones I like the most and not necessarily the episode you're talking about, but the one with the fish and he's uh, got the dream. He's got Mm. food poisoning. He's having like a fever dream and he he can't like I've had this happen before where I've I've had all the pieces, but I couldn't put it together. And then sometimes that unconscious subconscious push 
one way or the other, everything just clicks together. And, and during this dream sequence, Tony has this vision where he sees the fish at the market. And I forget, is it bass? I don't know what kind of fish it is, but a, the fish is it's a, like uh, like Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. It's a fish with, in, in ice like that, like just dead at the market. And the, and the fish is talking to him and it's his guy. It's his uh, one of his best friends, a big pussy. And he's the guy that has been the rat and he couldn't figure it out. And this dream helps him. This fever dream helps him figure it out. So uh, a lot of the show is 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 helping Tony. Um, he learns from his dreams, I think, most of the time. He has a visions too, as Kevin Finnerty when he's in a coma, right? And then and you're talking about the Funhouse episode. Now walk me through that one. I can't really remember that one. Hold on. So I'm I'm talking about the one in season six where he's he's been shot and he's in a coma, and then he has this dream of basically being a normie and just being yeah, like Ke- a businessman and Kevin right. Finnerty. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's being uh, he there's always this lighthouse in the distance that's kind of calling to him. And eventually he gets to that lighthouse and um, it's pretty clear that it represents the, the afterlife or, or death, whatever. Um, and he decides not to go, not, not to go into the, um, not to go into the light, not to go into the house um, that's been emanating this light. And later. Partly because he hears Meadow. Yeah. And they, they, he, his family is calling him back um, later. And I always thought maybe this is me grabbing a straws, but we're getting into the part where I'm going to start grabbing a straws. Um, I later when Chris dies or when he just, uh, decides to kill Chris, um, after their car crash, there's light from, um, oncoming traffic, the, the, the headlights shining over the, the side of the highway as he decides to do this. And I always thought that it, that was a deliberate callback to that lighthouse, that, that the lighthouse represents death. I would agree. I would agree that that's th- throughout the show. Symbolisms like that callbacks and all kinds of stuff. Chase really puts it in there. They really top-notch writing, probably the best writing. And, and like I was talking before, the prism of which it was created, like a lot of, a lot of shows at the time were not written like that at all. Nothing. It was, it was uh, ahead of its time. Nothing was like Sopranos when it came out, probably mm-hmm. because it was on HBO and it could, it could break the limits of, of traditional uh, TV time limits and right. content. You know, you could have sex, you could have nudity, you could cuss, you could kill people in graphic detail. You could put, you could put in the details that made it, so interesting that that's part of the uh, interesting part of the show is you can go back and you're like oh i didn't realize all the details the songs and uh and the songs have meaning you listen to the lyrics it's just mm-hmm. layers and layers of stuff that they put in there and you, you really benefit from a repeated a repeat watching something that um some, something that stood out to me that the college episode in season one i think it's episode five um because i was just been, i've been looking at a lot of sopranos commentary lately um or in preparation for this episode and i didn't know this they originally did not want to have tony kill the rat at the end of that episode because that episode ends with tony strangling strangling the rat and they it's shown in in vivid detail gritty detail tony um uh killing this guy choking this guy to death with a rope in in broad daylight and they originally did not want to let him do that and they actually had to add a scene showing that the rat was involved in the drug trade <laughs> that he was trying to pay two junkies that I guess he provided drugs for uh, to kill Tony for him or whatever. And that was added specifically yeah. just to give some justification so that it wasn't Tony just killing a guy who was just a rat. And it's, it's interesting because obviously the audience did not reject this. The audience saw this and thought, no, we're, we're even more interested in Tony Soprano now. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I think people at the time, I mean, when was this 97? So yeah, you didn't have a lot of stuff like this on TV at all, especially on the network stuff. It was very uh, bland and safe. And you always had to, you always had to have a good resolution. Your, your main character couldn't be a bad guy. 
like like Tony's the first antihero. Yeah, uh, you, you know, the, my favorite antihero besides him is Walter White. Yeah. And, and and I think we like them because at, le- at least initially we can get on board. We can we can say, OK, that can justify doing this or that. It's, it's the same thing with Dexter uh, you, to a degree. I find I find I don't find. Do you find Dexter morally apprehensible? Well, with Dexter, because he's killing other killers. Right. And, right. And, then, and then as the show goes on, it gets into, you know, it, it's more about why being a vigilante becomes messy because you can start accidentally killing innocents or you start, um, you know, you start implicating um, uh, uh, other people who aren't. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. That. You can't have a real life, but he, he wants to have one. He wants, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. Right. Um, Dexter's a whole other can of worms. I think, I think season two of Dexter is probably like some of my favorite TV ever. And I think the show kind of went downhill from there. It'll be interesting to see what happens now that they're bringing that show back, but that's a whole nother thing. But he's, he's one of those anti-heroes that was, but for a Tony Soprano, you wouldn't see, uh, you know, he had to open the door for all these other Mm -hmm. bad guys uh, for us to love. But what, normally when I'm trying to like sell, uh, the Sopranos to some of my friends, cause I feel like everybody I know saw and loved Breaking Bad. I just don't know anybody that didn't wasn't into Breaking Bad, but I have a lot of friends who never watched Sopranos, could never get into Sopranos. Um, watched a couple episodes, didn't get it. And I always say like Tony Soprano is Walter White in reverse. Walter White is like a super normie guy who then decides he the, the alter ego he embraces is um, you know Heisenberg and trying to be you know this this drug kingpin, and he kind of gets lost in his own sauce um, and 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 eventually dies over it. Um, whereas Tony Soprano, like I said, he's already a mob boss. He's already a gangster. He's already a beast. You know, he's already right. all these things and he's pretending to be, he, he, he tries to, to fix a little bit to yeah. be, yeah, to be a suburbanite and he starts to go to therapy and now he's trying to process his mommy issues and all of well, this I think stuff. that's the other lore. I think this, besides the fact that not too many people are deranged psychopaths that do all the things that these people do on these shows, it's also the allure of the psychology and uh, going to therapy and listening to somebody on the other side of the chair break it down or try to. And the, the interesting relationship between the two characters is something you don't see. It's not really something that is accepted in that world, at least at the time. So right. that was the, that was the, uh, that's the, that's another allure of the show is just the, the psychological aspect of it. And it's not just about, you know, the, the greatest thing about it's, I think it's a good balance between high, high art and low art. And it's so funny, which is what the movie lacked. I think I could have forgiven the movie in a lot of ways if it was funny, like The Sopranos was. It was yes. salty and sweet. It was perfectly balanced. It was well written, and you had subplots each episode. You had the main line going through it. It was really a great show, um, put together by working class people too. I might have filmed mm-hmm. in Jersey. Yeah, yeah. People didn't have attitudes and, and big egos like they would over on the other side of the, the country filming that if they did it. So yeah, it was its own special thing. Um, it's like Sergeant Peppers or something. It's like, okay, it's not, you look at it now, it's like, oh, okay, no big deal. But no, it was a fucking big deal at its time. It was break, it, it changed so many things in production and you never heard anything like that. And now you listen to Sergeant Pepper, it's like, eh, no big deal. Listen to what we got now. But, uh, you know, it's yeah. about looking at things through the lens of when it was made. Yeah. I call it, yeah, I call it Casablanca effect where you, you when you watch Casablanca now, it feels like it's filled with cliches, but then you realize it, it inspired all of those cliches. Right. Right. So um, I, I do one thing with, with Sopranos. I do often think that um, w- one thing that always trips me up a little bit is I think that the sort of meta-ness of the show and having like 
psychologists talk about um you know the, the the problems of these gangsters that maybe there's a little bit of moral filtering there where it's like we were talking about you know people enjoy these types of shows uh the the, the sopranos uh, especially because they enjoy the voyeurism of living in these um these crime worlds and they enjoy the violence and the sex and the um the opulence and whatever the people and love wonder, true crime they love true yes, crime they love yes. that yeah there's always this kind of moral filtering that's going on in our culture so it's like um in the in the true crime uh, episodes often the moral filter is they're saying well uh we're trying to we're trying to solve the crime right this is an unsolved crime and we're trying to just give people information to to help them um solve the crime kind of in the same way you had those like america's most wanted or, or unsolved mysteries types of shows in the 90s where it's like uh where we're telling you this very <laughs> salacious sensational story not just for entertainment but, but you know for the moral good of society because we're hoping you can solve this mystery right well, and then or- i think maybe with sopranos the self-awareness comes in with the the psychological aspect and the 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 meta narratives where you have the you know the italian the modern italian americans talking about the meaning of mob films and whether or not they like how it, it represents the culture in a show that is uh, you know about the mafia etc i mean the characters are very uh, identifiable even if you're not italian if you're not in the mafia you can identify with aj i did i and yeah. like i said i was the age where i was between meadow and aj's age watching the show literally so i identify with both of those kids and then if you're a dad or something, or you can identify with Carmela, or you can identify with somebody on that show, I guarantee it. Um, and that's what's great about it. It's it's, it's like average looking people. Um, yeah, Tony's not a sex symbol by any stretch of the imagination, but he <laughs> ends up with all these beautiful women uh, that are, you know, his gumars, his yeah. his uh, side piece, and, and a lot of other like strippers and you know oh, all uh, kinds. Yeah, all kinds, you know, really. <laughs> One-legged one, one women, all, all kinds, you're right. So, I mean, that's, I think the allure of Tony too, is the life he leads is again, not like, not, not, that's not the average person's life. They're not living life like that. It's not, it's a two-faced life. It's a, it's a double, you know, it's a. But then the other thing is, is that the mundane part of the show where, you know, we learn about like Tony's just dysfunctional family and mommy issues. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people who will relate to that. Oh yeah. Um, And, and so in a way it's like having this, uh, having this mob boss this murderous mob boss also have weird mommy issues and also have all this like pent-up dysfunctional family stuff it's probably like profoundly cathartic for a lot of people Rewatching it now that i'm older that that stood out to me much much more than when i watched it when i was young the more details you give a character it doesn't matter what the details are the more people can identify with those characters um, because we all have our little quirks and nuances and differences to us and we might it may not be exactly what we're seeing on the screen but we we find a lot of like like I said, sometimes it's a hybrid. My my life was a hybrid between AJ's and 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 Meadows, mm-hmm. so it's uh, it, it it's definitely worth a watch if you've never seen it. Definitely give it a chance. Give it two or three episodes. You'll probably be hooked. And lucky you, you've never seen it. You've got six. Oh, I hope seasons. I hope anyone listening to this has not. I mean, if anyone is listening to this and you've never seen The Sopranos, we've like spoiled like two thirds of the show. Well, they're not going to remember it though. They're gonna if they if they just listen to this. They didn't if they're not like yeah. like writing it Actually, down or they have you, a, yeah i guess if you've never seen the show and you're you won't remember this. all the stuff i'm talking about no you'll forget you'll forget by the time you get to the the part uh, season five where Vito is gay you, you won't uh you won't remember me so well now you will because i just said it twice but I'm i always sorry. thought i always thought that storyline was so funny because he goes into this like pastoral fantasy world and he's basically offered the perfect life that he could ever want yeah, he can't handle it. But he can't handle it, dude. He can't. That scene where he is just Johnny hammering Cakes. nails. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The watching the clock. It just yeah. breaks him. Yeah. 
He's like, oh, it's got to be noon by now. No, the sun's in the right, the sun's in the right position, and uh, oh, it's got to be time. And it's like uh, ten o'clock, which it makes you realize, like, if you if, if you're used to living the the gangster life, how could you? You can't. You, it's it's interesting. You can't accept paradise. You're you're offered paradise, and you can't accept it because um, it, it literally bores you to tears. Another thing about it is it's so NPC uh, relative to what you've got going on today. It's uh, they do get into stuff like that with the Columbus episode. Yeah, um, they well, do get into topics, but it's not you, you couldn't make a show like that today just to have. Yeah, there it's there. And that's the it's thing. Very, they're not, it, like, they're not they're, like they're not like, you know, they're racist. Like, Tony, Tony's totally racist to the guy to Meadows, half black. They're racist, boyfriend. but they're not racist in like the ideological. Sense. Right, right. They're, they're racist in the old East Coast sort right. of tribal Ellis Island kind of way. Right. And I'm not saying that makes it any better. I'm just saying it's a different, it's a different <laughs> type of racism, which would be normal for these for these people. Right. No, it's totally. That's what's great about it is it's not like it's refreshing to see things that are it's, the Sopranos and the and the, and the it's more true to life than stuff you're getting now. And it's, it's 20 years it, ago. It, it's what, yeah, it's what these people would actually be like. And that, that's the thing. This whole, like, that's what people uh, still are like, but you just, they don't say it on Twitter. Again, the, the greatness of the show is that we're representing these people as how they would actually be. Um, and when you try to sugarcoat that, it's actually, it actually makes it worse. Yeah, no, it, I mean, that's, that's what we love about it. It is so gritty. It's so realistic. It's, all of it. it and it's and it's shot like a movie too that's another thing shows weren't shot like movies back then this is the first show that was really shot like a movie yeah even like watching like one show that kind of was like a forebear of um the sopranos was was oz and i don't know if you ever watched oz it's one that's like um, oh you gotta watch Oz. or no what's the other one on hbo uh that everybody's like oh you gotta watch that one too it's one word i mean the one that's popular right now is succession but i'm kind of done with that show or maybe i'm thinking of oz What's the Oz one? Is the, what's, Oz is like the prison one. Oh, the what's wire? the one? The wire. That's what I'm thinking of. The wire. Yeah, yeah. The, the wire. Like the wire starts while the Sopranos was still going. I love the wire, and I think that in terms of like writing, it's probably I, I would put it like right behind. Everybody's um, like it's either one of the, one or the other. Everybody's, some people, yeah. There's some people like the wire more. I feel like my thing is that like I see the wire is kind of a critique of American society, whereas I see the Sopranos as a critique of humanity. <laughs> I see both of the Sopranos. Definitely, it's the society and the and the person in the society. But uh, yeah, humanity also. But definitely a critique on American society, big time. Yeah, it's just that with Sopranos, it doesn't go into the minutia of, uh, of the sort of like the politics of it as much as it is about the psychology of it all. Right. Um, specifically, the psychology of Tony Soprano. That is the character we spend the most time with by far. Whereas the Wire, the Wire goes into like every aspect of of baltimore society the working class the drug dealers the school system the media like it goes into everything the the, the you know the uh, politics the mayor what's going on w- with them it, it's it's like this huge sweeping sweeping tour of uh the, the the city of baltimore and to an extent america as a whole whereas the sopranos in my in my opinion is ultimately about tony soprano and the psychology of tony soprano Oh, definitely. 100%. It is a totally point of view show. Um, you do get, like I said, side stories of the other characters, which is great, but it definitely is his main line throughout the show. He's the main character. I think he's in all, I think he's in all the episodes. So I think he's the only one in all the episodes. I think, no, there is one. I liked him in true romance. That was way before <laughs> the Sopranos. 
So he was basically I, playing I the same character. True, I love true romance. Yeah, I love true romance. And, you know, if you've never seen that movie, I highly recommend it because it pretends like it's going to be your your normal rom-com action movie, whatever. And then it, it lets you know very, very early in the movie that this movie is actually going to be insane. Um, it's a Tarantino <laughs> movie. At least he's written it, wrote it. Yeah, yeah, I believe he wrote it. I don't think he actually he didn't direct it. Yeah, no, he, he wrote it. it. But you can definitely, when you know that, you you can definitely see the young the young Tarantino in that um, shining through in that script. It it, it 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 lives in the Tarantino universe of his characters. Definitely, definitely, yeah, for sure. And then, what are your favorite episodes? Uh, favorite episodes besides Pine Barrens. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> Everybody knows that, that one. First, that was the first one I was going to say. Um, I think college has got to be it's got to be really high up there. Um, I like uh, Kennedy and Heidi. That's the one where he uh, Christopher gets he dies and then he goes and does peyote in Las Vegas. Yeah, you know, I'm well, that kind of would be your favorite, wouldn't it float? Um, yeah, uh, I I didn't remember that episode at all. And so rewatching it this time, um, I, I was I was kind of blown away by that. I thought that it was so weird seeing Tony Soprano doing peyote and falling over in a casino. And then where he goes and he sees the sun rising and he's like, has like uh, I, what I guess would be the closest thing Tony Soprano could have to like a religious epiphany. Yeah. Now he says he gets it. He's uh, he's basically enlightened in that moment. He understands uh, whatever it is. We don't know, but he's definitely relieved that Chris is dead and he's the one that killed him. Uh, I mean, he had an opportunity there with the car crash, you know, yeah. um, but he's and then look- it's, and then I always, I always found that one to be interesting because it's not they they show him looking at the um the booster seat or the the the, the, yeah, child the, the baby seat with the with the tree branch with the branch to sort of show that like that could have been his kid who was killed. And so in a way like that's supposed to give Tony some justification for killing him that he's protecting he's actually protecting Chris's family and and putting Chris out of his misery. Um, and protecting himself but yes and definitely protecting himself and and ultimately that's probably what it is but then i always thought it was also that you know chris just can't get better fundamentally that you know chris can't get better and um maybe on some level tony knows that he can't get better right yeah no i I agree with that chris is uh he's a chronic uh what's the term when you're recidivist I don't know. But uh, another one I like is long-term parking. And that's Adriana's death. I like uh, Blue Comet. That's the one that, that's the uh, penultimate episode there uh, where Silvio and uh, Bobby get shot. Uh, apparently, like all the ones everybody gets killed. Um, let's see. I like, uh, yeah, we no, Pine Barrens. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a classic. That's pure Sopranos there. It's like seriousness, but comedy. And I think people like the comedy of that episode. Uh, I think that's what they really like about it because it's a really funny episode. I so that's Blue, Blue Comet is is um, Doctor Melfi's last yep, last appearance on the show, and to me, that's the actual end of the show um, because uh, once she has decided that Tony can't be helped, well, she's actually helped him become a better criminal. Not yes, yeah, so not only not only can he not be can he not be cured. Uh, but she's actually made things worse. The whole process of trying to fix him has actually made things worse. And in a way, the whole of Sopranos is just kind of saying something that's a little bit similar to what um, 
uh, a clockwork orange was saying which is that you 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 can't just rely on all of our sort of modern technology modern medicine modern ways of looking at things to fix uh people who are fundamentally not modern and in a way like none of us are modern we're all we're all part ape and (laughs) there's no amount of talking that's going to make it better. But I guess in in the case of the Sopranos, like you pointed out, it's worse because it's not that she just simply that she can't help him. She's actually made him a better sociopath. Yep. That's, uh, that's what it comes down to in that last episode or no, that next to last episode, you have Luke Comet, but that's where they all get taken down. And then you think in that last episode, you know, man, I, now you didn't see that live. Did you, that episode? The last episode we're talking. Are you ready to move to the last episode now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Made okay. in America. I I heard about it. Um, I heard that a lot of people were really upset about it. So when I finally watched the show when I was like 25, 26, when I finally watched the show, I knew something weird was gonna happen or something disappointing was gonna happen. Yeah. So hold on, um, hold on. Before we get going any further, I want to say now you you should have been spoiled alerting yourself already from the beginning. But if you haven't let's watch the Sopranos, <laughs> don't ruin it now because we're about to completely ruin the ending. And you know, I so mean, st- stop I'm now. Gonna, stop I'm, now. I'm gonna, gonna be, I'm gonna be putting a very big spoiler alert okay. on this. But I'm just saying episode. like people that really are like, oh well, I won't remember some of this stuff. Well, you're right, you won't, <laughs> but you will remember us talking about the ending for the We've next fifteen minutes. Things left and right. I know, time, but yeah. all these things I'll forget, but the ending you won't forget me talking about it. So <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's true. Anyway, so now that the spoiler it's done, you back to you. So so you know, my view is like once we know that Tony can't be fixed and that not only that Tony has only gotten worse and will only get worse, everything after that is kind of uh, a secondary point. I think that the show concludes the real conclusion of the show, the real climax of the show is when Melfi tells him, I, I cannot help you when she finally realizes I've made him worse. And it all goes back to uh, something in the, I believe it's the first season where uh, Melfi's ex-husband, I believe, or maybe her, current therapist i can't remember who it is but one of the one of the men in her life tells her eventually you're going to get to the bottom of this guy tony soprano and it's going to come down to good or evil and you're going to see that he's evil something like that that's and, your therapist yeah 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 her therapist says that and then re-watching the show i'm like oh that like actually the whole show is spoiled in the first season in that line because that's really what it comes down to um she realizes it's he's just evil he can't be fixed it's the frog and the scorpion whatever yeah some people are on um, redemption and you know it's like he she's only the, the modern world is only allowing the is only helping sociopaths become better sociopaths um if you wanted to take like a big picture view but i think that's the actual end of the show and then I, everything after that yeah he wins that that round of the mob wars um he he, he, he survives his war with new york but only because uh he's a high profile target of the um of the FBI and they just helped him because they want to keep him in the game so that they can prosecute him later. So, you know, he only survives because they're, they're going to um, bag him another day. He only survives well, because big, he's a big, well, target. that's the big question though. Does he just, does he survive? So now let me tell you this. When I first saw it, I was living in Japan at the time and I was a bit touring the files because we couldn't, I couldn't get it in Japan mm. and, and I wasn't, and I was spoiler free. We didn't have Twitter at the time, anything like that. So, um, it was very hard for me to spoil it unless I got on Facebook or something. Right. And again, this is the infancy of all that stuff. So I got my bit torrent. And I put my, I play it and I'm looking at the episode and you know, like, you know, episodes only like an hour long. And as you get towards the end, it's like, Oh shit. Like, how are they going to wrap this up? Like what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Like, 
And and towards the end of that episode, there for the last five minutes, like, oh no, 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 what's going to happen here? And you're getting all <laughs> you're getting all set up for it, and all these things. If you're a real fan of the show, like, are coming through the door, and you're like, oh, it's what's going on? What's with this angle? Who's this guy in the jacket? What's going on there? Um, why is she? Why is Beto not able to park? Why? Oh, it's so frustrating, and it's and it's, it's such a build up. Yeah, and, it's all there. It's um, very well designed to fuck with you. And then it goes to black, and then I'm like, what's? I'm like, oh my god, what's wrong? I this this bit torrent must be you know just like everybody that watched it live that that week earlier they're oh, like they thought the tv, the, was, broken. Thought their yeah, TV yeah. was broken it was like blank for like probably 15 seconds and then the credits rolled yeah. and it's like yeah it was like oh my god like what happened so did he survive or did he what happened there did he just live on his life or what happens i so there's people obviously went hunting for clues and there is um tons of clues there's there's a there's the little clue where his brother tells him not his, his brother-in-law Bobby. Um, yeah, Bobby tells him, you know, you don't you don't hear the bullet that gets you. Um there's also I, I remember watching a breakdown of that scene where it shows how um every everything we are seeing in that scene is from Tony's perspective. He's watching his family come in through the door, et cetera, et cetera. So when it when it cuts to black, it, it's like he's in frame. Uh the song uh Don't Stop Believing. Um it says, I think don't stop. It ends right on Don't Stop. Uh Don't Stop Believing. Uh, whatever the, the the argument was is that we've been watching this whole show from Tony's perspective, and um, whoever that mysterious man in the bathroom was uh, probably just shot Tony right there. And um, because we're seeing it from his perspective now that he's dead, we only see black. Oh, I, oh yeah, I know, I know that that was kind of a popular interpretation. I think because. I would say this when a show gives you an ambiguous ending, it's meant to be an ambiguous ending. It's kind of like when people would try to figure out the end of inception or something like that, um, or total recall, uh, you know, these types of like psychological thrillers. Um, I think they're meant to be ambiguous. And I think the amb- ambiguity is the point. I would say rewatching the show. One thing that stood out to me was this scene um, in another dream sequence. Uh, when we were talking about earlier where um, Tony sees himself on the boardwalk and he, he's in his fever dream. It's the end of, uh, of season two. And uh, Tony's sick and he's having these, these crazy um, food poisoning fever dreams. And he's on the boardwalk and uh, he puts a quarter in one of those tower viewers, one of those little binocular things you can you know look through at the beach. Um, and he, he puts a quarter in one and he looks through it and he sees himself with Polly. And um, they're, like a, they're like seated at a table uh, on the other side of the boardwalk. And they're playing cards and they're playing cards for a little while. And then Tony just pulls out a gun and shoots Polly. And then um, the, the time on the uh, tower viewer uh, runs out and it cuts to black because that's it. You, you, you run out of money, you run out of, um, of, uh, of juice, whatever you run out of view time, I guess. And, you know, it's not that those two characters have ceased to exist. It's just that you've run out of, of time to watch. The peep show has ended. And if you view like The Sopranos as just one big act of voyeurism, where you're just going through and looking at the the, the man, the the legend, the beast that is that is Tony Soprano, and you're enjoying all of this um, vicarious uh, murder and <laughs> adultery and debauchery and uh, monotony even, and you're enjoying like seeing this man's broken psyche in therapy sessions, you, you're sort of implicated in it, right? And having the viewfinder kind of just come down, having the quarter, having the time to sort of run out and it cuts straight to black um, was maybe a way to reflect that back on the audience. I've heard a lot of things. Uh, I have my own theories. I'm going to give you some of them. One of the things was if they showed up getting killed, like if they just showed that, you'd never watch the show again. 
that's one of those things. It's like, oh, that was a good decision in that respect. But I think he died. First of all, I want to say I got an article in front of me right here that says uh, Sopranos ending explained by series creator David Chase. Yeah. So over time, um, things have come out. And he basically said that, yes, I put things in there and, 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 and Tony's dead. And if you really look at that scene, I got some stuff here. I don't, even, I don't even know if you knew this because I didn't know that until I actually did a little research for this episode. But like, for example, Tony selects the Journey song on the table jukebox. The number of the song is K3. In baseball terms, K3 would be strike three, as in strike three or out. Oh, uh, that's a good listen one. Listen to this. Keep going. Junior's first attempt on Tony's life, strike one. Junior shoots Tony, strike two. Tony goes into the diner without his guardian angel, strike three. So, right, you know how Tony's been shot in this series a few times. Well, that was his third strike, right? So, K3, strike three. Keep It keeps going. Um, you know, so the angel is Meadow. Every time that somebody's tried to shoot Tony, Meadow was there to block the shot or to give the guy hesitation and want to shoot him. This mm -hmm. time, you know, Meadow's out in her car. She's parking it. She can't parallel park to save her life. She's walking through the door. It's the last thing you see is Tony watching her come through the door. Now, if she was there on time, she bet she'd be at Tony's right side where the gunshot would be coming from his three o'clock. So she not being his guardian angel was um, another clue that he was probably shot. It keeps going on. It says um, it also shows a close up shot of Tony, Carmela and AJ, each popping an onion into their mouths. And uh, and they didn't bite it. They popped each one in whole like a communion wafer. Tony was finally mm -hmm. taking communion for his sins and was ready to go. Made in America. <laughs> And I always like that song choice too, because the song is asked, you know, it's like the most aspirational song. It's almost more the national anthem than the national anthem is. Well, that's another um, clue that people are yeah. like, oh, well, that's like, oh, don't stop believing. Maybe he's still alive. I'm like, oh, maybe, but there's so many clues. And like, for example, Bobby talks about it on the other episodes. It's like home, uh, the, the family movie episode where he's mm -hmm. like, oh, what do, you th what do you think it's like? And he's like, does it just happen out of nowhere? And then like, you know what I mean? You don't see it coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the scene where Sylvia is sitting there eating dinner with a guy and he doesn't realize he's been shot until he's got blood on his face and oh yeah, yeah he yeah. didn't even hear the gunshot you know what i mean it's like yeah. after the fact that so there's lots of clues within the show and one other example is the members only episode with gene eugene um and th these guys wear member members only jackets and they show how eugene would just walked into a place and basically if you if you see the episode where eugene is doing that hit it's basically what happened to tony and also mm. you think about retribution in terms of Phil Leotardo. Phil Leotardo was killed in front of his wife and, and his grandchildren. You know, think about Tony being killed there in front, oh, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. in front of his family, stuff like that. So there's there's a lot of hidden details and nuance and, 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 and callbacks to things that were planted sometimes seasons uh, mm -hmm. before. So I think Tony is no longer with us. I, yeah, I, I think that the original intention, and I know I, I did read that, that piece you're talking about, and he talks about how, you know, he, he had always envisioned it, the ending to be sort of like um, a callback to the opening sequence where you see Tony driving through New Jersey, yeah, and yeah. then he would get out of the car and, and be shot, and that would be the end of the show. And I, you know, I, I'm, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that probably, you know, um, it, Tony probably dies in the, in the last episode, but it is ambiguous for a reason. And I think it's ambiguous for a reason because uh, like I said, I, I think the show, this show that's about a very morbid type of uh, voyeurism that's fueled by a very morbid type of voyeurism. Well, Chase talked about, he didn't want to give people that he didn't want to give yeah. people that payoff. He, 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 he I, I think he wanted to reflect it back at the audience a little bit. And I know he said that he didn't mean to make anybody angry. Um, but I think he did a little bit, <laughs> if only unconsciously. I think that he 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 did. He wanted uh, to say something with that. I love with that it. Uh, finale. 
I, I I guess maybe it's different because I didn't watch the show as it came out. I watched it later and I sort of knew that there's going to be some fuckery at the end, but I, I had to right. uh, avoid it, avoided knowing too much about it. But I, I, I really love that ending. And I think it, I, I think the show really earns that ending. And I think if you go, especially if you go back, I, I think it adds to the rewatch value of the show as well. And like you were saying, if we just see him get his head blown off in that, in that restaurant, it doesn't leave us with much to think about. And also, like you said, no one would ever watch it again. But this show, maybe more than any other show I've ever seen, like it's the, the, the rewatch value is very, very high. It gets better every time you rewatch it. You see new little things, you make new little connections. And I, I, I think you don't stop believing can be, you know, you can sort of draw your own conclusions about where Tony's life would have gone. What's the best case scenario for Tony Soprano? Best case scenario for Tony Soprano is what? He goes to war with the New York mob and takes New York City over so he just goes on to be a bigger demon no um, that doesn't that doesn't happen that never happens but what i'm saying is <laughs> I, I agree with you that probably never happens but what i'm saying is that would be like the best case scenario for this man right, right now right. that we know now that we know that he can't get better he's never going to be psychologically healed he's only a, a better sociopath now so like that is the be- the best case scenario for tony soprano is he becomes an even bigger criminal gotcha. um, yeah. you know like that is the best case scenario you can imagine Otherwise, he's going to go to jail. They're building this case against him. That's the only reason why the FBI helped him and saved him. So he's going to get arrested eventually and go to jail for the rest of his life. Or he's going to get got by, you know, somebody else, you know, some other some other mafioso uh, who, who doesn't like him or just thinks that he's in the way. I heard one theory where people were trying to say that it was Polly that set him up. I was about to say uh, that, but yeah, you beat me to it. And yeah, I don't I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't I didn't look much into it, but well, there's a part where they uh is it Patsy still alive or what's the other brother that gets killed? The, the twin, uh, Parizzi. What well, anyway, they're him and Paul are at the, unit at the, at the, they're standing at a urinal and they're like, it's on you now. And I'm like, what does that mean? It, they weren't very clear about it. So there's, there's little things that make mm. you think like it could be because Paulie was always, you know, talking behind Tony's back to the New York mob. He was the one that gave the, the Johnny, the Jenny, the Jenny sack. Oh, what is it? 83, 85 pound, 90 pound mole on her ass. Joke. Yeah. That was Polly's doing. Polly yeah, started. Yeah, Polly yeah, was yeah. the one that fucked. Polly oh, was I the one that it. fucked that whole crew up. He, Ralphie's crew was cursed. Uh, what's his name? Died on the toilet. Ralphie was killed, and then what's his name? Died on the toilet. But he was he was the head of that crew for a while. Vito gets killed. He was the head of that crew. Mm-hmm. Any Vito's or uh, that Ralphie's crew is, is is cursed. Yeah. Throughout the show, that's another thing. That's like a little pl- a little side plot that's always happened. That that, that crew is not doing too well. Yeah, but Ralphie's, I mean, Ralphie's crew is just such idiots, though. Yeah. <laughs> even by bonehead, even by like bonehead mob, mobster standards, they're like especially fucking stupid. Um, Jersey. I think, yeah, I think that it's sort of uh, why I like that. I, why I like that dramatic cut to black is because for me, I think that's just the the tower viewer and you run out of quarters. Um, and, and, and I like that it. theory. You really pull it back to that one scene. It's, and... it's, you know, it's just you, this whole show has been about voyeurism. And oh, I like that. And our time with our quarter in the yes. machine of Sopranos your, is your, over. Your quarters are run out. Our, this whole show has been about the most morbid voyeurism. And even the, sh- the, the shot that fades to black is on Tony Soprano. It's not from his perspective. It is on him. Right. Right. And in the same way, like when he is viewing himself through the tower viewer, 
um, after he shoots uh, uh, Polly in, in, in this dream during a card game, runs out and it cuts on Tony Soprano. I don't know if this is intentional or not. I just think that it's sort of like the overall theme of the show is about this morbid voyeurism. And that 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 is what that cut to black is to me. It's about, you. maybe it's even like a Black Mirror thing. You for a moment saw yourself in the screen for the, that long 15 seconds between that that last cut and the the start of the um the the credit roll and i i, I remember hearing um that's a very good point by the way are you cheering for the sociopath to get it or, or do you do you sympathize with him and it's the- it's and he he talked about david chase talked about how he was mad that you know people wanted people were rooting to for him die yeah Oh no, um, that, that yeah, too. Yeah. He was mad that, that he was like, you spent all these years with this guy, following this guy, learning everything about him. And now you want to, you want to see him get murdered. E- even though, you know, it, it's sort of like, uh, we were talking about like, why do people relate to Tony Soprano? Probably because <laughs> we do on some level fantasize about being Tony Soprano. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And, uh, and, and having that kind of, uh, that kind of, um, power over people right and power over our, our our problems and you know he he was kind of disgusted by that that you know oh after after you've enjoyed basically this this um this feast of, of salacious voyeurism now you want to make him the scapegoat and just have him get killed so you can pat yourself on the back and say i'm a good person exactly that's exactly it i love that and it's true and i was happy that he didn't get killed or it was left uh, to the viewer's imagination even though yeah. i know after the fact that yeah that's probably whacked. i mean i agree that's probably what was ori- i mean it, we know that what was originally intended was that he was going to get he was going to get whacked but the show I mean, resisted. yeah it's, it's an inevitability yeah. for somebody like that i think he had nine or i think he had nine kills maybe more than that the whole yeah. the whole well he seasons. says he says at one point he says to dr melfi says there's only two ways out of this um game or there's only yeah. two ways for a guy like me out of this it's the the can or the coffin and so, right, we know that things aren't going to go well for Tony Soprano. Like I said, the best case scenario I can imagine for Tony Soprano, once we've established that he cannot mentally heal, is that he becomes a bigger and better gangster, um, which won't be good for anybody, actually. Mm-mm. Nope. But that's the way it, uh, the gabagool crumbles. <laughs> that's the way the gabagools. <laughs> oh, oh, you got it. You, 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 you're able to make something out of that. I'm very impressed. So you All think right. he is just, so you think he dies or no? I think I think we're out of quarters and our pockets are empty. That's how right, I right, right. We're just gotcha. out of quarters. Even the if it goes makes, on, but we can't see it no matter yeah, what it is. Even if you know, even like don't stop believing. It's sort of like believe whatever you want is the other way to um, to interpret it. And right. the other thing being like made in America, right? Like if you think about it, at, like as being like in a way the the mafioso is um is sort of like um a version of the american dream it's like the dark underbelly of the american dream uh you know these immigrants come here they come here for the for the american dream and some of them aren't able to get the american dream that they wanted uh or they're not able to get it in the way that they thought they could and they 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 become criminals or something like that it's maybe like a little bit like scarface the world is yours type of vibe and you know now we've seen through the course of the show we, we've seen sort of the the dark side of the american dream so to speak oh yeah definitely i, I like the, the title made in america and like i said it's the i think it's a criticism on capitalism i think it's a criticism on america i think american politics he, you know, this is Bush era stuff too, for the most part. Hmm. So you get a lot of criticism about uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and the war that was going on in there at the time. So it uh, it's interesting also to view the show from that perspective of our politics versus now, like the conspiracy stuff. And you know, I, I, AJ towards the end too, he gets a little 
he wants to keep, tries to kill himself and he gets into the politics yeah. way too deep and he's, he's just like his father d- doom and gloom and he's been really black pilled by the end there well that's the other thing is that as much of a son of a bitch uh, as Tony Soprano is there's never a part in the show where I don't believe that um, he doesn't actually love his family well, that's the that's the conundrum of the show, which is like, yeah. yeah, he loves he loves animals and babies. And yeah, he loves his own family, but he's out there, you yeah. know, can totally kill somebody else and not think twice about it. With the, and well, it's interesting because he says in some parts, he talks about how he, he envies animals because they don't they don't have to um, suffer the pain of life, basically. So he sees the animals as being like perfectly innocent. Yeah. And then when I always thought it was interesting um, when um ralphie when ralphie um kills that uh stripper girlfriend the one who has a a crush on on tony he's really really bothered by that and i always kind of wondered i always kind of thought maybe the horse ralphie killing the horse was like the final straw but that he was actually mad about him killing that gumar well horses are an analogy in the show for gumars yeah In, in general that's a running thing that's a it's not explicitly put out there but you can kind of figure they treat women like they're, they're horses in a way yeah. and yeah and, and there was a direct correlation i think for sure with what happened with the with the stripper slash uh you know the girl there and versus the actual horse too you know and that was that episode where he killed her that that got a lot of uproar people did not like that there, there, a lot of viewership actually dropped off after that after that episode i didn't know that it is that very was, disturbing it's that, very disturbing yeah. that that season with ralphie is where the sopranos never gets it gets darker and darker each season after mm, that it gets yeah. by the six you can there's a definite there's a tone there's i mean just in the cinematography and stuff too uh towards the end versus the beginning it's very dark at the end of the I mean, season the beta america episode is actually very dark it starts the episode off he's like laying there and it looks like he's in a coffin and it's got like organ music playing right right, right at the beginning of the episode it's mm. like okay i see where this is going <laughs> yeah. oh but i didn't want it to end. i wanted to go on and on and on and in a way it he does never, though in he never gets killed so you can watch it over and over again exactly yeah. you, can, you can keep you can, watching it over and over you can invent you can invent I feel like I've now made this point several times, but you can invent any, you can invent all these different endings, plausible endings for Tony Soprano, but none of them are good because he can't be fixed. That's where the quarters run out. I would hate to, to say that every, that somebody is hopeless. Do you do you think there are hopeless people out there? I I I, well, I don't want not, that. I don't want to believe that. It may be well, true, what I'm but, saying. Is, okay, but see, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that is what the message of the show ultimately. Oh, for is. sure. No, it definitely there are is. some. There are some people who are so psychologically broken that can't help. they can't be fixed. And not only that, the attempt to fix them actually makes them worse. And to me, that's a repudiation of a, a lot of the mythologies of the modern world. And that's why. And I, I don't think any show. I can't think of any other show of all these antihero shows that were sort of spawned or inspired by The Sopranos. I can't think of any show took that idea that far and 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 demonstrated that idea in in such a um a brutal and stark way or, or in such a well-written way i should say yeah, that's um, the thing it's very masterful too that's what you're getting um all the way to the end is very talented people mm-hmm. who, who are all at their peak mm-hmm. uh, giving it all it's like it's the, seriously the best writing i yeah. the writing is so good i will i download the scripts if i can find them and i will just if you want to teach yourself how to write a script you need to read a sopranos script man that the way those things are written out and read it's like oh yeah. my goodness it's like such a treat i yeah and I, even as much as i like breaking bad the wire um dexter like we talked about Barack empire as much as I, I i love all of those shows i don't think any of them are are as good as the sopranos i don't think they go no that was good 
All right, Flo, yeah. thank, thank you so much for coming back. A little different, actually a lot different from what we what we normally talk about. Uh, well, next time, you, well, you can come on mine now. Yes. I just know this is going to yes. go on yours as, you're, as an official one for your side. but And they've always been that way. But Eric, because the thing was too, I wanted to talk about, I was going to message you, I think right at the same time, or maybe, I don't know when it was, but I was like, oh, I want to talk about Sopranos. Maybe I can talk to you about Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And you were already had the idea to talk to me. I'm like, nah. oh. <laughs> well, synchronicity there. It was. Um, so definitely you're going to have to come on and we're going to have to just. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely. I, I, I got it. I always I always have you on mine. I got to go on yours. What would you like to talk about on mine? Let me think about it. Let me think about it. Uh, you, you don't um, want to give me something over the over the. For the I feel like if we've too. already if we already synchronistically you know both decided to, to talk about Sopranos, we'll probably come up with another one in our sleep tonight. Okay, well, I don't have dreams at night. <laughs> it's but you still me. might wake up with an idea. In any case, float. Uh, is there any anything anyone you want to plug, including yourself? Where can people find you? Uh, float Universe on Instagram back by popular demand because they banned me. No, but yeah, Instagram, Float Universe, all anything, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, just type in Float Universe, and there I am, and accept no uh, imitations. And you have a Telegram now too, right? Uh, oh yeah, I don't put much on it actually. I'm on there actually following mm-hmm. all the people that are banned, but because man, I don't know, I don't know how many things you have, but I really only stick to two or three of them. Yeah. yeah, and, if yeah. I, and I and I and if I can't send it out to the other apps, I don't usually mess with it. But yeah, I'm on I'm on Telegram. Same thing, Float Universe on any app, Float Universe. Uh, and we'll be there with the memes and the right. psychedelics and the Q stuff. Don't worry, we still got the, the <laughs> Q card. We're, before we're still- uh, um, and, and 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 before you go, float. Can I get a gabagool? Gabagool. All right, take it easy, man. Thanks you too. Have a great night. <laughs>